it's sort of common in the first couple of weeks of, of a new year to sort of begin to talk about, you know, the, those uh, age-old kind of analogies. It's a, we have a clean slate. In fact, I brought a picture of a, of a new canvas for us this morning. But um, I, I really believe that God has a very specific word uh, for the church today. And it sort of flows with what I declared over you. I believe that the issues that we're dealing with in our world, God has has something to do with it in this moment. And we tend to want to curse darkness rather than being the light in the darkness. But he has created us uh, with this capacity that uh, not just with new years, but with even new days. This day is a gift of God to you that you'll never get again. So what are you going to do with this day? In fact, in essence, what we could say is, is that every day is like that canvas. And and notice all the brushes. I picked that picture specifically, not one brush. I know the brush, there's one lane there, but there are many brushes because there are many people. And God has, uh, has made you a brush. And if you will allow me a a very um, old analogy that each of us are going to be a part of the painting that God is trying to create for us. But the one thing that tends to stand in people's way is the fact that we feel like because we are not maybe called to an office gift in the church or we're just a, a person that hasn't gotten the education that the person to your right or left has, you may not be a school principal, you may not have upper education, that somehow my life is not as valuable or significant or capable of creating a brush mark on the canvas of God's kingdom like other people have. And so what the enemy tends to do is that he erodes people's belief and capacity to see potential within ourselves. Uh, I read this from Thomas Edison the other day, and I thought it was important. If we all did the things we are capable of, we would astound ourselves. Pretty interesting statement, isn't it? You'd astound yourself. Because I think that most of us tend to believe that we are not capable of doing things and we do not have the capacity to astound ourselves. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend, I went as I do every year to Columbus, Georgia, where my family is from. I graduated from high school there and I speak in a congregation. And I graduated from high school there in 1970, a long time ago. Forgive me. Oh, by the way, Andy, if you want to know what Andy wants to be like when he's 67, then that's what I am, okay? Just turned 67 a couple of weeks ago. So, um, but anyway, it's 70 years have gone by, almost 50 years uh, from high school graduation. And um, I remember a day in April when I was in homeroom. It was the last period. The bell rings. Everybody gets up to leave, and Mrs. Rayleigh, my night, my 12th grade homeroom teacher and English teacher said, George, would you wait for a moment? And uh, she, I did, not knowing what she was going to say. And she walked back and she sat on the desk. I remained at my desk. She sat on the desk backwards facing me. And she looked at me and she said, George, I feel like I failed you as a teacher. She said, but I've just got to be honest with you. I don't understand you. I, I, I don't know how to help you. See what she didn't 
what she didn't know, and that wasn't a term back then, I was a dyslexic kid. So I really, when I graduated from high school, I couldn't read or write. I just didn't have that potential. And she saw potential, but she said these words to me. She said, George, I don't understand you, but I believe that one day you're going to make it. Do you know that she was the only teacher in 13 years because I flunked kindergarten? So I had 13 years of education, all right? <laughs> I, 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 she was the only teacher in 13 of those years to ever say anything encouraging to me. Later on, I leave. I never forgot it. She forgot it. All these years go by, and Thanksgiving weekend, I'm sitting with a pastor after I've spoken, and I bring up this lady's name. And isn't this just God? I wrote her a letter after I got my doctorate degree, and I wanted to explain to her what had happened. So I sent it to her, and I didn't know if she ever got it. She never responded. But I was sitting at the lunch table, and the pastor brings up this lady's name, Rayleigh, Mrs. Rayleigh. His son married Mrs. Rayleigh's granddaughter, and she was in church that morning. I had been trying to get in touch with her. So two weekends ago, I was able to spend a half hour with her and to be able to remind her of what she said to me. Her words of encouragement created seeds of potential within me that if she would have never said, I wonder where, if I would have ever been able to go on to do. You know, we sometimes think, well, that was just a simple act. But she, in one moment, changed my life. My human potential was there, but I needed someone to water the seeds of that. And that's why we sometimes fail to understand that if we would fully be astounded at our potential if we knew what it was. I read this quote that I thought it was interesting before we get to the word. Poverty is not just a lack of money. It is not having the capability to realize one's full potential as a human being. There are a lot of people that are poor today, and it's not that you don't have money. You're poor in your own eyes of human potential. You don't see your capacity. You, you, you don't understand what you've got and the availability in your life, and it's there. So the big challenge is to become all that you have the possibility of becoming. You cannot believe what it does to, to the human spirit to maximize your human potential and stretch yourself to the limits. This is the one thing that we have to deal. We have to understand that God is trying to move us. And it, the reason why we always use these, quote, New Year's resolutions or a clean slate or a can in the new year is because the idea behind that is to push us into a whole new level of capacity and understanding that if we don't move that direction, we may never understand. This verse is so important to me. The 139th Psalm verses 13 and 14, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God was a part of the creation of your life. You are not who you are by accident. You are who you are by divine creation. He was there and knit you together in your mother's womb. Brother, sister, friend, family, church, understand the potential. God doesn't make junk. In fact, my mother, who did not understand me either, my mother, who listened to my second grade teacher tell my mother to put me in a school for the mentally retarded, 
said, he may be slow, but he's not retarded. And my mother coined this little phrase. She would say to me every single day in my struggles, George, never forget, God doesn't make junk, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And that's what got me through. God didn't make you junk. I don't care what your past, I don't care what you've been through, I don't care what your circumstance, I don't care how bad you've been or how good you are. God doesn't make junk. God makes humanity. And what humanity chooses to do with the power and the presence of God and the purposes of God within us is strictly up to you and the allowance of the Holy Spirit to work in you. Fear and uh, self-doubt have always been the greatest enemies of human potential. Fear and, and self-doubt. And so today, um, I have this feeling. I want you to get this picture with me very quickly. I want, anybody here afraid of heights? Yeah, okay. You know, have you ever watched like a, a YouTube video or whatever where there are people standing up high on a building and they're looking over the edge and your knees, you're sitting in your easy chair looking at a video, but your knees still feel weak? That, that, that fear, I want you to get there with me spiritually today. I want you to think for a moment, what if God brought you to the top of a potential opportunity and you look at it and maybe your knees are feeling a little weak, but I want you to understand that God will never bring you someplace. God will never ask of you. God will never ask of this, this faith community to do anything that God isn't capable of backing up and doing because you and I can't do it by our own strength anyway, right? The prophet said, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So let's not forget two simple verses. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. So when that fear comes, as it relates to possibility, potential, the blank canvas of 2019 for church together, when, when it is in your life things that God might be asking of you as you will listen and understand today that clearly God hasn't given you the spirit of fear. If fear comes, it's not God. It's the enemy of our soul, but he's given you power, love, and a sound mind. And second of all, self-doubt. Don't be anxious for anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God when you stand in that place of possibility. Remember, only God can make it work in your life. If you've got your Bible, whether it be uh, your, your, the page or you've got your, um, your Bible on iPad or your iPhone, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Because I think it's interesting that God places potential of humanity within the context of the stories that he told. And I, I love stories. This is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. It's the story of uh, uh, the Good Samaritan. And uh, you will understand the context. A religious man comes to Jesus one day, and he just simply says, Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus tells him this story. It's found in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning with verse 30. It says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothing, clothing beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Too soon, a Levite, went to, uh, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. The next day, he took out two denarii 
and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in law replied, the one who had the mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It is interesting that the kingdom of God is always in the context of being and understanding the art of neighboring. You and I will never do anything extraordinary for God unless we see that whatever he is placing us in and as an opportunity is in the context of other humanity needing us to be neighborly to them. And we think it's all about uh, the impact of something that is grandeur or uh, has a grandeur about it or a greatness about it. But everything that ever happens in the kingdom of God is done out of relationship because relationship sees the potential to be able to move people to a better life, to healing, to restoration, to renewal. And I want you to see something with me in the midst of this. If I, had, if I had the time, theologically, I'd love to take you on this journey visually. Jericho was 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho is 1,300 feet below sea level. So the journey is about 15 miles, and it's about a 45-degree angle. So it was a very treacherous. No one traveled that alone in the day of Jesus because it was so uh, complex, so challenging. And so if you went alone because it had the crooks and crevices, you were vulnerable to this kind of very act. And it was not uncommon for people to travel alone to be attacked. But it is interesting in the midst of that, that that Jesus really identifies three people. And that's really what I want to get to, because all of humanity is identified in the three disciplines of the people that are dealing with the man that is laying on the side of the road. So just think about this with me for a moment. So we have three. We have the robbers. They're the guys that actually did it. They're the ones that saw the man that Jesus was talking about, beat him up, robbed him, took everything, and left him on the side of the road for dead. You know, people um, will fall there very quickly. They're, They're the ones that are the takers. Then there's the two religious guys. Now watch this. You've got the priest and the Levite. The priest obviously was a pastor. God forbid, sorry about that, but not all pastors do always the right things. And the Levite was a lawyer. He was a religious lawyer, so he knew all the law. But then you have the good Samaritan. Now, he is, he is the most unusual figure because you've got a Jew and you've got a Samaritan. Samaritans were mixed-breed people. They were half Jew and they were half Greek. And how they got there is an interesting story. But Jews hated Samaritans because they weren't pure. And Samaritans hated Jews because Jews always made Samaritans feel like they were better than them. I want you to note with me the robber. The robber, they basically are making this statement. What's yours is mine if I can get it. 
The people that live in this culture, in this world, are people who so often will say, what's yours is my, if I can get it from you, I'm going to get it from you. They're the users. They're the kind of people. God understands that they're there. These are the kinds of people in governments, in, in, in business, in the world system that is trying to take everything away from humanity and just use it for themselves. We all know those kind of people, don't we? They're just takers. If they can get it from you, they're going to take it. Then you got the religious people. What's mine is mine and you can't have it. This is why God never intended religion to be the answer to human need and world situation. Because what's mine is mine and you can't have it. When the priest and the Levite come by, they see the guy, but they walk around on the other side. Again, very interesting because a priest knew if this guy was dead and he touched him, He was unclean, and he couldn't serve his priestly duties for seven days. He would have to go through purification. And the Levite understood that if he touched him, he would have to get involved with him in a sense of responsibility. And so he just didn't want to waste his time on a guy that may be dead on the side of the road. But you've got the Samaritan who had every reason to not believe he had the capacity or potential to serve a Jew. Because if that Jew survived, surely he'd turn on him and think, what in the world? You, you, you touched me. You're, you're a Samaritan. I don't let Samaritans touch me. And yet Jesus was trying to teach us something, church. Jesus always reverses the way man thinks. For the potential should have been in the priest and the Levite, but the potential was in a man who was told he did not have the potential to do what he needed to do. And yet he stepped outside the realm. He stood, if you please, on the precipice of potential, and he said, If I were in that place, what would I want to happen to me? And would it matter who they were as long as my life was spared? And so, in the midst of it, I think that what we need to see is some three principles very quickly. Because I want to bring it to you very quickly, and we'll, we'll bring this up. Good neighbors have to understand It's about taking responsibility. If the kingdom of God is going to impact our culture, it's going to be the people of God who understand that it's their responsibility. It's not government. It's not banking. It's not education. It's the kingdom of God. We have to take responsibility. Do you know that you and I wouldn't be here today if Noah had not taken responsibility? I mean, you go back and read, read the story of Noah, and the world was in such desperate shape that God makes a statement. I'm not sure I wish I'd have created these people. And yet Noah was a man that found grace in the eyes of God, and he took responsibility, and he took 100 years out of his life to build a boat 
to be able to house he and his wife and three sons and their wives and animals and what we have on the world today. See, I firmly believe that story, that if Noah had not taken responsibility, you and I wouldn't be here today. Or what about the Jewish people? Moses took responsibility. He didn't have to, but he took responsibility and he led possibly two and a half million people on a 40-year journey that wasn't ultimately his responsibility, but God comes to him and says, hey, I've got a plan for you. I created you with purpose. Your purpose wasn't just to be found by Pharaoh's daughter and grow up 40 years and then go 40 years to the backside of the desert because you were afraid because you killed a man, but you may be a murderer and you may be one that has had an unusual beginning. But you see, all of that was for the potential of moving my people from slavery to freedom. One man, one man that didn't think he had the potential. He didn't have, he, that Pharaoh would kill him if he came back for what he had done. But God says, I take care of all that kind of stuff. I mean, can I tell you about Nehemiah, whose walls of Jerusalem were broken down? You see what I'm saying? You and I have to be willing to say, we'll take some responsibility in that. And the kingdom of God would move forward. You see, the potential of what you have with resident within you is not there until you're willing to take responsibility. Second thing, you got to be real, willing to take a risk. I, I, don't, I don't think that uh, many people understand uh, the power of risk, but risk, can I just say in my mind that risk is another word for faith? That, that risk means that I know that if God is asking me to do something, that it's going to require me to take, re- require me to take a step of faith if I'm ever going to do anything for God. Listen, walking by faith simply says that. You have no one to lean on but God. Again, I could take you through Scripture of those that, who were willing to take that risk and, and move to a place where they never dreamed that they could possibly go. I think it's interesting that Jesus chose 12 men, 12 men called disciples, and uh, they weren't religious, they weren't educated. In fact, if anything, they, they, they were the dropouts because they proved that they had not the potential to achieve what it would be to be a religious leader. But Jesus chose them and and had no other plan B but these 12 men. Again, you and I are here because 12 men took a risk to believe that God could use them supernaturally in ways because they just chose to believe God. Peter gets out of the boat. I think I shared this with you in a message sometime past, but it's one of those messages that I never lose sight of. When Jesus comes to the disciples on the water in the storm and Peter thinks and sees it's Jesus and he says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And, and Jesus says, come. Jesus didn't say, come, Peter. He just said, come. All 12 could have gotten out and walked. But only one got out. 
I think that that's another representation of the church, the human potential. We feel like maybe there's only one that's got enough faith to walk. Peter got out. He sank. It wasn't about his great faith. It was about his obedience. Let me ask you something. How obedient are you to the kingdom of God that if God were to ask you to take a responsibility and a risk in this community in some way, somehow, that you don't think you have the potential of, that you would be willing to do it just because God says, come with me, let's go on a journey. Last thought, our time's almost up. There, there's, you got to take a responsibility, you got to take a risk, but, but the reward. Can I just ask you a question? Think for a moment. Have you ever, what was the reward the Samaritan got for helping the man bleeding, dying on the side of the road? It's okay to talk to me. Do you ever let him talk to you, Pastor Andy? Do you ever ask him questions? This is, this is the classroom in me now at this point. All right, now I'm going to put you on the spot. You want me to come point at you? Have you ever thought, what was the reward? Yes, sir. Very good. So we're, the reward was that it was so impactful, we still 2,000, almost 2,200 years later, we're still talking about good. Somebody else? Satisfaction. Satisfaction. Interestingly, for the sake of time, there is no reward other than the fact that, like Pastor Andy said, he did something that made a difference in, the, in an individual. A lot of people only do what they do because they get reward. Could I ask you, what did Jesus get for going to the cross? The, do you know that Jesus asked for something for going to the cross? Jesus says in John 17 and verse 5, Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. All Jesus wanted was to go back and be in that relationship with the Father that he had because of his coming to this earth and paying the price. That was all the reward Jesus got was the reunification with the Father in the mission and the plan and the purpose. The reward comes later, but it's just the satisfaction of making the difference. We have the responsibility of helping people. And I, I want to draw your attention. Go to the next slide, if you would. Because this slide is a slide that I have found. And this is a documented slide. How much social and intellectual capital do 100 church members have? We may not be 100 here this morning, but let's put some percentages to it in terms of the adults. Research has been done, and here is potential that sits. That in every 100 adults, there's 200 years of higher education. There's 2,500 years of life and job experience. And there are 3,000 direct community connections. Now, you say, that's very academic, and what's that got to do with this message this morning? Here's, 
Here's the connection because the kingdom of God is about us. It's about people. And within us, God has created potential. And each of us have a history in school. Each of us have a history, whether it be in in business or whether it be in labor. We all have something that we possess. And we all have connections in this culture that we can solve and create problems because the human potential that God created humans was not to just simply be able to say, I've achieved certain things, but to use what we've got to be investing back into the broken lives of humanity, of the issues of culture, of the brokenness of society, of schools, of government, whatever it may be. God has placed within the church the potential to resolve every situation that the world has if we just come together and are willing to use the capital, the intellectual, the social, the spiritual capital, the value of what we are today. My father is 90 years old. I talked to him on my way to church this morning. My mom is 97. In fact, on the 4th, they were married 72 years of January. They were married 72 years. It's interesting. I called them and I said, well, this is a special day. And they go, well, what, what's special about it? They, they're, they've been married 72 years, but they didn't remember it was their anniversary. <laughs> and so we talked about it. But, but my dad... Uh, at 90, when he was 16, he dropped out of school because he had a call on his life. And uh, he went to school in, or he went to work in a garment factory in Tennessee, pressing uniforms for World War II soldiers. So he collected money, but he had a call in his life. So he bought cinder block and tin for the roof and wood to build benches. And that's, he started his first church when he was 18. Uh, my, my dad meets my mom. They marry. My mom gets pregnant. They try to go to school, but because of her pregnancy, they couldn't go to school. And so my dad does not have a, a high school diploma. He never went to Bible school, but my dad had a heart because the call of God was on his life to make a difference in the, in the world in which he lived. My dad became a self-made man. When my dad left the ministry pastorally and retired, my dad gave to me a library of 5,000 books that my dad had read. You see, he didn't have the education, he didn't have the degrees and that on his wall, but my dad pastored churches of more than a thousand people in his life. My dad traveled the world. My dad was a missionary in Sri Lanka for 22 years. They started 121 churches. He pastored five major churches. He raised millions of dollars for the world, for the kingdom of God. But he didn't have what the world said you should have to be successful. But what he had was the understanding that God doesn't create junk, and he has a wonderful plan for our life. And even though we don't have what other people have, we have have the divine infusion of the Holy Spirit's potential in our lives to make a difference in the world if we're just willing to take responsibility, we're willing to step out in faith and take a risk, and we're willing to simply understand that God has called the church to make the difference in the world. I rebuke you 
for looking at the size of this body of believers and determining what you think you can and cannot do because all things are possible to them that believe. I rebuke you for looking at your life and saying, but I wasted so many of those early years of my life. Let me remind you, Moses was 80 when God called him to lead Israel out of Egypt. I rebuke you for simply saying, but you know what? You know, I've just lived my life by and, you know, I'm just a laborer. I'm just this. I'm just that. And there's not really much that Pastor Andy could use in my life or through my abilities. But let me tell you something. What, what people are looking for is what the parable of the Good Samaritan teaches us. It's human touch in the moment of brokenness that makes the difference. It's Mrs. Rayleigh. 50 years later, saying to her, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have gotten a master's degree. I'd have never gotten a doctor degree if you hadn't have sat with me in a moment in class that she didn't even remember and saying to me, George, I don't understand you. I don't know what you are, but I believe that someday you're going to make it. She infused in a moment potential in my life that gave me the courage to take risks and believe this is what God can do. Here's the word of the Lord for Church Together 2019. I believe that God has given you a leader. I believe that God has given him a vision. I believe that you are here in this community and to lose you would be to lose the footprint of God I believe with my whole heart that you have yet to see what God has prepared you for little as much when God is in it, that God is about to do something and break loose, but never ever believe that it's going to be because you have enough people with enough influence and enough resources and your own building that would make you sustainable within this community because God needs none of that to impact the culture in which he has placed you in. You may not have anything to prove as the world would say successful churches have because they can have that but not have the touch of God and they're nothing. But when the touch of God is on you, it's like your life being one of those brushes that God takes and begins to paint a masterpiece, a masterpiece that embraces humanity. And when it's all said and done, when humanity has been healed and they're, and they're, they're restored, they go out to tell a story. I was on a journey. I fell amongst the thieves. People passed me by. Pastor Andy didn't. Church Together didn't. Put your name in there. On the count of three, everybody say your first name. One, two, three. George. He didn't. She didn't pass me by. And today, I'm alive to tell the story of God's grace. Because human potential is what a brush is in the hand of God. And that's you, church, together today.